just before World War II, in the city of Itasca, Texas, school fire claimed the lives of 263 children. Every family in town almost was touched by what happened and all that went on, obviously, and, and the tragedy that was the, uh, just beyond description of how to speak of something like that and all that was going on. Throughout the wartime, they weren't able, they never had, they didn't have a school, they didn't have things that were going on, but once the war ended and uh, places began to be restored, people began to return to their homes and things like that, the city began to grow a little bit, they, just, they were able to build a brand new school. And as they built this school, they, they put in it the most uh, advanced, fully complete technology sprinkler system considered to be the best in the world because they were not going to have that kind of tragedy again in their school if it was anything they could do. It was the best that money could buy. They were so proud of it, the school, the city, they had honor students that would take uh, visitors through the school and show them what the great school it was and all the things that were there and all that was going on. And about, Within about seven years, the city had continued to grow and the things were going on and as it grew, they came to a place where they needed to add an extension to the school. They needed to be, it was needed bigger, more room. And so as they began to add on to the school, they discovered that this elaborate, amazing sprinkler system that they'd built in had never been connected. It's kind of hard to imagine. <laughs> and yet that's a parable of most of us as Christians. It's a parable of our churches. We have the, the greatest power on earth available to us. And yet most of us spend our lives not connected, not walking in the fullness of what God has for us. We, we live impotent, useless lives as far as the, the kingdom is concerned because we're not willing to take hold and to use what God's given to us. That's the urgency of Paul as he writes to us in Ephesians. And it's the reason why he's used all these different words upon words upon words and phrases upon phrases trying to instill within the believers at Ephesus and believers of all time the, the, what we need to get a hold of and what we need to understand and, and grasp in the reality of who we are as a people of God and what that ought to mean and how we live and how, what we do and the things that are a part of that. And so as he comes to the section that we're going to look at tonight, we, we come to one of the, Paul prayed some amazing prayers throughout his letters. If you ever want to do a study, just study the prayers of Paul. You'll, you'll be amazed at what he prays because every one of those prayers are prayers for the church, for Christians, for us. And this is the first prayer in the book of Ephesians that we're going to look at this morning in chapter 1 beginning in verse 15 and reading through the end of the first chapter, verse 23. And we're going to hear this prayer. And we need to understand as I read these words in just a moment, because this is the living word of God, because this is Holy Spirit inspired as Paul prayed for those Christians, this prayer has a never-ending power and a never-ending emphasis. It is as much relevant and it is as much for you and for me today as it was in the moment that he prayed it. And so we need to hear it that way and understand that this prayer is for us. For his to hear and apply to our lives. So I invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15 and reading to the end of that chapter. Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesian church, he says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And then he begins the prayer. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority, all power, and all dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we allow this word to speak to our hearts and just understand that this is a Holy Spirit-led prayer for us, I pray that each one of us, Father, will, will allow it to, to take root in our lives, that we'll hear these words and understand that this is your desire for us, this is your will for us, this is your plan for our lives, that we would grasp what great things are being prayed here in these words. And so, Father, open up our minds, our hearts, our understanding. Open up our willingness to hear. Father, just let us be a people to, that want to, that are hungry, that are thirsty, that just want to know the fullness of what it means to be a people of God and how that's to be played out in our lives day by day. And so, Father, bless this word and, and, and let us learn from it this morning, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we hear this prayer and all that's going on, Paul begins in those first couple of verses by just saying to the people of Ephesus, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the things that I've heard about you, how you love one another and, and your faith that you're exhibiting. Those things I thank God for, and I, I'm so uh, uh, glad that I can rejoice with you in those kinds of things, but I want to pray for you, and I do pray for you, he says. I, I, I pray for you all the time, and then he begins to pray for them in, in some amazing words as he speaks to them in, in prayer, and he talks to them. He, he begins by asking that the Lord will give all believers a spirit of wisdom and a knowledge of God. See, wisdom, we're studying that some on Sunday nights as we're going through the book of James as well, but wisdom is a, is a God-given gift. It's something that only God can have it's, we're talking about when we talk about genuine wisdom. There's wisdom that we gain from experience. There's wisdom that some people have by age, other kinds of things. But when we really want the wisdom that lets us see into the world and understand what's going on around us, when we want the wisdom that explains to us and helps us to get a grasp upon all the struggles of our lives and all the things that are happening, when we really want to know what God knows and how he wants it applied in our lives, we have to seek God. He's the one who can give us that wisdom, and he wants to give us that wisdom as we look at him. Paul prays that you and I will have godly wisdom in our lives as we look about it, and godly knowledge that we'll be able to take that wisdom that he gives us and be able to apply it in our lives in a practical way and live out the things that, that God wants us to do and be a part of it as we look and as we understand the things that are going on. See, the world says to you and me, know thyself. Makes everything about us. Everything about me, everything God is always around myself and everything that's there. But Paul prays that not that we will know ourselves, but that we'll know Christ. And that was his own prayer for himself. He wasn't just praying, looking out over the, the Christians there and saying, boy, y'all are in mess. Y'all need, need to pray about knowing Christ better. That was the very heartbeat of his own prayer, that I may know Christ. 
that I may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, that I may know him in the fullness of who he is. That was his heartbeat. I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus. I, I want to know him better and better in all the days of my life. And that ought to be the very heartbeat, the very breath that the church has in everything that we do. And every single believer ought to be driven by that reality. I want to know Christ. And I want to know him better and better and better in all the days of my life. And look at, see, we, we need that hungering and thirst. The, the deliberate ignorance of God in our world has brought about all the corruption and all the condemnation that we're experiencing day in and day out in the world in which we live. Because we have chosen not to know God. He's obvious. He's real. There's no way to deny his existence even though many try to do so in their ignorance. But there is only the reality of a God who is so amazing and so powerful. And we can know him and experience him in a personal way through Jesus Christ as we look at it. But our choice, our willingness, our willful decision to not know him has brought the evil that we face in, in our world. And, and, and we, we have so much and we, we, we don't take it. We're so rich in what God has for us. I read about John Randolph Hearst. You'll remember, uh, or at least have heard of him, uh, the great newspaper man of the past that was extremely wealthy, had all kinds of money. One of his things he liked to do with his wealth was to buy uh, all kinds of truly valuable artwork and things that were there, precious items, things he could collect and be a part of. He, just, he had massive collection of art and things that were there because of the wealth that he had and the way he wanted to use it and what was going on. And He was reading in something at one time and he came across something that, that talked about some, some very precious items he decided he wanted those. And so he sent his agents out throughout the world. said, whatever it takes, go wherever you need to go, find those for me, and get them. I want them in my collection. And so they went all over the world. They spent all kinds of money traveling and doing things, trying to locate these things that uh, Mr. Hurst wanted and what he wanted to have in his possession as he looked at it. And finally, they returned back to him, and he asked them if they had discovered, had they been able to find what he, they were looking, what he wanted them to find, and they said, yes, sir, we found it. He said, where was it? Where did you get it? He said, you already own it. It's in your collection. That's how we are. We have the greatest riches in the world. We have the most astounding power in the world. We have that which is greater than anything this world will ever be able to produce. No system can produce it. No government can produce it. There is not available to anyone except those who are the children of the living God. And it's in our possession and we act as though we don't even know it. We live as though we are the poorest people on the face of the earth. What a shame. Paul is, Paul is pouring out his heart and he's pleading with the Christians there in Ephesus that they would open up their eyes and that they would receive and understand the wisdom and the knowledge of God that they would see all that they had. He goes on to pray that they'll have spiritual vision. See, he, he's praying. You remember the disciples on the way to Emmaus uh, as they were going to Emmaus after the, after the resurrection. Those men that were traveling as they were leaving away, they hadn't heard yet of the resurrection. And as they're going, they, they've been talked about a little bit and they know it, but they're leaving town. And you'll remember that Jesus appeared before them and they began to talk and they invited him to come to their house and, and stay with them. And while he was there, the Bible says he opened their eyes and they saw scripture as they had never seen it before. They found truths beyond anything they had ever grasped before. That's what Paul's praying for you and for me is that we will allow Christ to open our eyes 
so that we'll see, we'll recognize all that we have, that we'll understand the things that God has prepared for us and wants for us and desires for us to experience in our lives as we look at it. But he didn't stop there. He kept praying and going. He prayed that we might have the hope, that we might understand the hope of his calling in our life. That's a statement that means that we would get a hold of the reality that you and I have an everlasting hope. It's not the kind of wishful thinking that the world talks about. This is a hope that is secure in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a hope that says to you and says to me, our hope is in the living Lord. Our hope is in the everlasting God, in the everlasting love. Our hope is in heaven because we have a certainty today that if we are children of the living God, heaven is our home. And nothing can ever take that away from us. Nothing can rob us of that privilege. We belong to God. That's the hope of our calling. That nothing can change our relationship to God because of who He is and what He has done for us. That ought to be motivation for holy living. That ought to be motivation for living the way God wants us to live, for rejoicing in life and living out the kind of life we ought to that would make a difference for other people that they might too see Christ for who He is and relate to Him and come to Him in the knowledge of who He is. But He goes on to pray. He's not through praying. He prays also that we will grasp what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. What he's saying there is that we'd, get a, we'd become aware. that It would just overwhelm us. That it would just take hold of us that we are God's very possessions and that God is pleased with us and that God is pleased to use us in his service. Can you imagine that the king of the universe, the creator of all that is, is finds joy in allowing you and allowing me to work with him to accomplish his purposes? to do the mighty things of God, to be a part of the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to be a part of sharing the gospel with people that are lost and in darkness and have no hope. They're putting their hope in all kinds of false things, but we have the answer in Christ Jesus. And God has entrusted us with the message. He's entrusted us with the privilege. He's entrusted us with the opportunity to be His partners in mission, His partners in sharing with God's people and sharing with other people the greatest message on the face of the earth that God so loved them that that he gave his only son that anyone and everyone that would believe might have everlasting life. What an amazing story we have to tell. What great things we have to do as we think about it and as we share. And he's praying all these things that we'll know how God is blessing us. And then he prays that we will know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. What Paul's talking about there is resurrection power. That's the power that he's referring to. The power that God brought Christ Jesus from the grave. The power that though he were dead, now he is alive by the power of the resurrection and all that's going on. And that's the power, my friend, that is in you. And that's the power that is in me by the virtue of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Holy Spirit, resurrection power is ours. And that's what he wants us to understand. That we have the power of God, folks. It's not our power. It's not our strength that we're dependent upon. We have the very power of the living God dwelling within us because of what God has done when he raised Jesus from the dead and made that available for us as we look at it and as we understand that. And it's all based upon what God did and what he did in Jesus Christ. Let me just read those verses again beginning in verse 20 and listen to what it says about our Savior, our Lord, the one who is empowering us and dwelling us in all that we have. Beginning in verse 20, he said, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead 
and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He's seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and all authority and all power and all dominion and every name that is named, not only now, but in the ages to come. He is above every power. There's nothing greater than our God. No power greater than our Savior. That power dwells within us and all that we have. And he put all things. When it says all things, he means all things. Nothing left out. Nothing missing. He put all things in the subjection under his feet and gave him, Jesus Christ, as the head of all things to the church. He's our, he's given to us. He's our head as which he is the, we are his body, the fullness of him who fills them all. That's the Christ that we're serving. That's the Christ that has made all of this possible, that we might have power, that we might have riches, that we might have hope, that we might have all these things are because of a living Christ who came and God has made him Lord over all things, superior to everything. Nothing is compared to him in all that it is, and it is the power of that resurrection that he's speaking to you and speaking to me about. See, the greatest power shortage in the world today is not oil, it's not gas, it's not all those things. The greatest power shortage in the world today is the power of Christian people to take the power they have and use it for God's glory. There's an amazing power shortage, and there's no excuse for it because the power is available. It's not short. We're not running out. It never will run out. It'll never grow dim. The power of God is available for every single one of us. He wants us to know that. So Paul is pouring out his prayer and being a part of it. You see, the only hope the world has, and folks, whether you like it or not and whether you want to believe it or not, this is a truth that you can't not, cannot get around. The only hope this world has is the church. And unless the church starts being the church, there's not going to be any hope because that's, that's all the world has is you. And your faith and your walk and your understanding of who you are in Christ. And what that means. That's the only hope that we have. It's what we've got to do and what we've got to understand. Let me close with some words from Charles Spurgeon. I'm going to read them here in just a minute. In his own struggle and trying to share the struggle. I couldn't say it better is why I'm going to use his words. But it's for myself even as I think about this. He said, I go back to my home mourning that I cannot preach my master even as I myself know him. And what I want to know of him is very, and what I know of him is very little compared with the matchlessness of his grace. Would that I knew more of him so that I could tell it better. Folks, I apologize. I can't tell you. I don't have the words to be able to tell you how great is the God that we serve. How amazing is the Christ that has come to us and how beyond belief is what he has given to us as his children, as his people, that we might live in abundance in this world, in abundance in the power, in abundance in the riches of God, in abundance in the hope of God, in abundance in the, all that God has provided for us. He so longs for us to get hold of him and know him and walk in the fullness of who he is. And I, I, I wish that I could say the words that would penetrate the shells that we put up, that would penetrate the barriers that we put up so that we walk away from these moments as though nothing has ever been said, nothing has ever been meant. We're not changed. We're not met. We just go to church and go through the motions and God's not getting through to us. Oh, I wish that we could know the power, the grace, and the love and all that God wants us to know. 
I wish that we would make the difference in Kwana, in Vernon, in the places where we live, that lives would be changed. And people who are on the way to condemnation would be snatched from that path and set on the path to glory forever with Jesus Christ. That's what this church is here for, folks. And if we're not doing that, we're not doing what God called us to do. We're not being who we're called to be. Paul prays, pours out his heart that they might know, that they might know the wisdom and the power and the hope and the riches that they have in Christ Jesus. May we know that as well. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, again, I have to ask for forgiveness for not having the ability to do what needs to be done. But Father, thank you that you're so amazing and so beyond description, so far beyond the use of human words. You're greater than all that is. And yet, in that greatness, you have prayed for us through Paul and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might get hold of the life that you've called us to. Experience the power that we have. Rejoice in the riches that are so abundantly beyond all that we can ever use or even imagine. That we can stand upon the hope of eternity that nothing can rob us from and nothing can diminish it, nothing can take it away from us in any way because Christ rose from the dead and you have set him above every power and every dominion and every name that has ever been and ever will be. And you've made him the head of the church and we're the body. And as we submit ourselves to the head and allow you to open up our eyes that we can see what you want us to see, we can and we will make an impact for Christ upon our world, beginning right here in Kwana. God, take our hearts, and even as we've sung this morning, open our eyes that we might see. Open our hearts that we might know and see beyond all that we've ever seen before. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.